You're listening to Our Tunes. Music appreciation and digital media discourse. Welcome to Our Tunes. I'm Lewis. And I'm Brad. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing quite fine. That's cool. What have you been listening to? What have I been listening to? The last couple of weeks, I've been really getting back into a dear old group of friends known as Stereo Lab. Ooh. The album that kind of pulled me back in, I just put on Margarine Eclipse. It was an album from like, I don't know, the early 2000s. Just such a good band. I would have to put in the first song on the album, which is called Vonal Declosion. They have a lot of food stuff going on in their titles, don't they? There's another album called like Emperor Tomato Ketchup. Uh, you know, I've never really thought of it like that. That's the first thing I thought of when you just yeah. mentioned that I mean, album. It's I another, haven't heard that. It's another one. one but... Another one called Dots and Loops. That's okay. another favorite. A prolific band. I love that they sort of marry the rhythms that I really like in kraut rock music. Mm-hmm. They bring in other like synthesizers. How about you? What have you been listening to? Kind of in the dreamy world adjacent to like Stereo Lab. This band, Always, which is a contemporary kind of dream pop band. I was revisiting their older albums, and their third album is coming out a little bit later this year. They just released a single for it. It's called Pharmacist. Absolutely tasty pop hooks, lots of atmospheres. Later in the song, there's just an absolutely manic guitar solo going on, really dialed down. It sounds like a car is crashing in a shoegaze world. It's just amazing. I love the way it sounds. our segment today one of the things we're going to do is talk about firsts first music you remember hearing in your life and then first cd first concert give it to me all of them at once okay that's about <laughs> throw one at me which one are we doing first? okay do uh do like the earliest uh, musical memory you can think of okay so most of my listening experience growing up was being in proximity of my father playing some music mm-hmm. he admitted that his keeping up with pop music ended right about the time I was born, and he said that the last album that he really got into was this album by In Excess called Listen Like Thieves. He had it on cassette tape, played it all the time. Even when I was like a baby baby, continued like into my actual memories. 
So I would say it would most likely be a song off of that album. If I was gonna give one, the song I was thinking of off the NXS album is called Kiss the Dirt. to it it's it's good i like yeah. it <laughs> and for better or for worse it's yeah. like etched in your brain forever. yeah i know <laughs> i i have a hard time sometimes with mm. like is this nostalgia or am i being so your, your mind's playing tricks on yeah you. how about yourself my parents were into all kinds of stuff i was really trying to track down this specific pan flute band <laughs> that okay here we out how does the term world music make you feel generally <laughs> Pretty bad. Cringe. Pretty bad, yeah. I, I don't feel good about the term. But the truth is, right, there's people all over the world, and they're making music. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just like, okay, yep. When I heard these sounds when I was like a child, it sounded lofty and magical. So they're playing pan flutes. There's like kind of a strumming guitar in the background going between like a minor chord and a major chord on like kind of a flamenco style guitar. Kind of a yelping, thumping going on in the background too. The group is called Inca Marca. And there's this song called Blanco Palomito, which means little white dove. Turn this song on today flooded my brain with neurochemicals and took me right back to being like a little child hearing this cassette tape that my parents would play. Wild experience. What was the first CD you bought, Brad? Ooh. In a prior uh, episode, I had talked about my family's participation in the Columbia House oh, yeah. CD thing where, you know, you get your book of stamps and you, you get these first batch of free CDs, but then you got to buy the actual expensive new ones like Mm -hmm. on a routine basis there was like this one initial batch that i got where i got my first cds so i had gotten this boom box for christmas it was like a sony had a little disc player at the top where you push the button the top would raise up it had a cassette i mean it was like the classic boom box yeah so i know one album was like the very popular counting crows album august and everything after it came out in 93 yeah and I gotta say, it was simply because I had a cousin who had this album, and I was just like, oh, if he likes this band, then I, you know, this band must be awesome. In that same batch, I also got Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2. I don't remember lyrics. I don't really, like, focus on lyrics very much. But for some reason, I feel like I can still sing along to most of the Billy Joel songs from Volume 1 and 2. (laughs) We all have a face that we 
Also, that collection is probably great. One other one that I can distinctly remember, it was the album Dangerous by Michael Jackson. Ooh. <laughs> Came out in 91. Biggest hit on it was Black or White. You remember yeah. that music video? Quite the music video. I remember with this boombox, I used to um, get cassette tapes or CDs, and I would like be up in my room. I was an only child, so I had to figure out how to entertain myself. But I would like pretend to be the DJ, where I'd be like, <laughs> "Okay, like next up." And I actually had like a little walkie-talkie oh, man. that didn't go anywhere. But I, in my mind, I would imagine that it would be if I held the button down, it would be broadcasting to airplanes that yeah. were passing over. On the and airwaves. so, like, entertaining the people on the airplanes. The mind of a, you know, seven-year-old Brett. I guess my parents were like, is it okay that he's up there talking to himself? <laughs> All right, Lewis. I remember distinctly the first CD that, like, I was allowed to buy, like, in a store. My brother is five and a half years older than me. He was collecting music for a long time before I was. And I got a lot of stuff from him. The Goo Goo Dolls put out this album in 1998 that it was sensational called Dizzy Up the Girl and I still really like a lot of those songs they're extremely catchy I wanna wake up where you are I won't say anything at all so why don't you I remember being disappointed that they had like a couple songs on that album where like a Philharmonic joined them and played like huge like swelling strings. My feeling in realizing that this band and these band members weren't playing all the instruments, I was <laughs> I like felt cheated a little bit. But I got over that pretty quick because all the songs on there are like total bangers. Iris, Black Balloon, Slide. They live on. Yeah. In dental offices everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> It was definitely radio-saturated, yeah. like, pop music forever and ever. Yeah. And I was allowed to actually buy another album in the same sitting. It must have been my birthday or something. I was splurging. I was going wild. Sitting? In the borders. <laughs> I bought a two-disc collection of Jimi Hendrix entitled Voodoo Child. Just amazing songs on it. There was a live version of Johnny Be Good. What is going on? How are these noises being made? Because <laughs> I hadn't seen any kind of footage of that. I was like 11 or something. How did you actually pick it out? I knew that my parents liked Jimi Hendrix. Okay. And I was like, well, this one looks cool. Packaging looked cool. Basically, I could get away with buying it. I knew it was a safe choice as far as my parents were concerned. The Goo Goo Dolls were not my parents' thing. Yeah. So but, where did that yeah. come from? Uh, the radio. 
My yeah. parents let me listen to the alternative station, you know. I always think of this hard break that I made from my parents' musical taste when I bought the album Metallica and Justice for All. Oh my god. Yeah. Nothing is real but pain now. Our Brad, we've lost Yeah, him. I don't know. I was kind of like, I was really proud of myself. I was at a summer camp, eight or nine years old. Some camp counselor had like a disc man. I put it on and I'm like, oh my God. Like, this is... <laughs> Fortunately, I wouldn't say Metallica was a bad choice. Once I started listening to like weird art rock and punk screamo in high school, my parents were like, yeah, count us out on that. I was actually thinking of first maybe to, to ask was, what was the first album that you got with an explicit content label Ooh. on it? It was the Sublime self-titled album. With the quickness you get laid for your family get paid, it's the wrong way. I give her all that I have to give. I'm gonna make it hard to live. Soggy tears running down to a chin. Iconic uh, cover and iconic explicit content label. <laughs> For me, it was Cypress Hill's Skull and Bones album. That was probably way more explicit than the Sublime album. <laughs> what you want from me? Want to live my life? Drop my car with my jewels and you're hooking my wife. What you got from me? Fame, opportunity, I guess that ain't enough for ya. You want the look and weed, what you need from me? Yeah, but I got it relatively around the same time as I got Limp Biscuits album. Significant Other? Yes. Yeah. I remember bringing it home and showing my father because I was so proud that I bought this album. And he looked at the back and he was like, hmm, nookie, huh? <laughs> What does that mean? Hmm? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, Dad. Like a breakfast nook? He <laughs> was like, okay. All right. Well, enjoy. Oh, my God. Segue to the final of the firsts. Mm-hmm. What was the first concert you remember? I can say for sure the first concert I ever went to was Electric Light Orchestra at the Philadelphia Academy of Music. Whoa. Probably around 94. Jeff Lynn wasn't with the band. I wouldn't have cared at that age. I wouldn't have known. But they actually had an orchestra that they were playing with. We were in balcony seats, and it's a pretty historic, old, beautiful venue in Philadelphia. And yeah. so it was also like, for me, one of the first times as a kid being in like the big city. I think it was a great first concert experience. The show I remember being my first concert. I think I was like a freshman in high school. I went with my best friend at the time to a auditorium down at GW in DC to go see They Might Be Giants. They were on a tour with some funny guys from McSweeney's. They were doing like a mixed show of like some comedy, some like spoken word, and then, you know, appropriately nerd rock band, They Might Be Giants, <laughs> was headlining. Look at Harry in the alley by the light switch Who watches over you Make a little birdhouse in your soul Not to put too fine a point on it Say I'm the only bee in your 
electric energy. You're just like in a huge auditorium. And I was just there being like, wow, this is like so cool. I get to be like in the same room as like all these people who like are doing their own thing and just coming here for fun. Their live show is amazing. I actually got to see them again. There was some guy, I cannot remember the details of like, like who he was. His act was playing an acoustic guitar while like sing, saying a story about like a dog. And it kept having these crazy twists and turns. He would appear to get very upset and smash the guitar. He smashed at least four or five guitars. <laughs> and he would like smash it and then someone would hand him another one. Keep going with the story, escalate, smash another guitar. And I remember being like, that's not cool. <laughs> it was not good enough of a story or an act to justify the destruction of that. Maybe they glue it back guitars. together. <laughs> not the way he was doing it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let start. This is the worst part. The belief for all the world that you are my precious little girl. But don't, don't, don't let start. I've got a weak heart and I don't get around. This is Homework. Some of the earliest music I remember hearing besides that pan flute song was my dad playing himself and playing over the stereo, John Fahey. So full disclosure, yeah, I did mention in the last episode that I had some exposure to John Fahey. It sounds like you did too. Your father, pop music, had given us John Fahey's Blind Joe Death for Homework. I don't know that I had actually listened to this particular album. Also sounds like it was something in your household growing up. For sure. The song my dad played for us in the last episode, he's been playing that for probably 40 years. Yeah, we got a voicemail from Pop Music about just a little background. Here it is. Hey, R-Tunes DJs. This is Pop Music calling in to see how's your homework going. The record album Blind Joe Death by guitarist John Fahey. So this week I went to see a man with a guitar at the Barnes Museum in Philadelphia. I met Picasso's three musicians instead. Their names were Blind, Joe, and Death. And it kind of reminded me of John Fahey's 1959 breakout record of the same name. On a West Coast blues, St. Louis blues kind of uncloudy day, I hear John Henry playing, In Christ There Is No East or West. Beside the transcendental waterfall, I'm running from the desperate man blues. Maybe the sun will shine in our Sligo Creek blues backyard someday. While I'm digging in, I'm doing an evil deep blues. Hope you like the album. Can't wait to hear your comments. This is pop music. Have at it, guys. I've already talked briefly about how this particular artist and this music fits into like my life as a young person, my dad playing music. There's another connection. This album, which was recorded in 1959 in Adelphi, Maryland, the next town over basically from Tacoma Park, Maryland, where I grew up, recorded in a church that's less than two miles away from like my childhood at home. And it was released by John Fahey's label Tacoma Records named after Tacoma Park, Maryland, which is also where he grew up. Weirdly, he then transplanted himself later in life to Santa Monica, California, more or less where my dad grew up. What strikes you about this right off the bat? I would say John Fahey, for those who have not listened to him, he's got a number of albums. Then this one, uh, Blind Joe Death, was first recorded in 1959. He was making music 
through the 60s, 70s, and I think he was active through the 90s before his passing. Plays solo guitar, maybe accompanied with like one or two other musicians. It's like a finger-picking style. For most people, they might initially think, this kind of sounds like a bluesy, folksy kind of style. Albums I've heard, including this one, he also usually includes a couple of songs that really take you somewhere that kind of feel like classical music i don't know if motif is the right word with blues and like traditional folk music from like the united states like a lot of it is like very repetitious where you know you're playing like maybe the 12 bar blues yeah, a few times similar structure and it just sort of cycles through he kind of took a lot of different hooks and riffs and crafted that in and arranged those sort of things into other forms that maybe he was picking up from other classical music traditions from the other side of uh, the Atlantic. Some very interesting chord structures that sound different, they sound complex. Maybe, Lewis, you could explain like what he's actually doing on the guitar. I definitely cannot call myself any kind of uh, proficient at this style of playing. Like The finger-picking style is, you know, a thing I think I learned to fudge trying to play songs I enjoyed by like artists that clearly were influenced by his style of playing. Steel string guitar, so it's not like nylon strings. Picking hand, really plucking bass notes and kind of keeping rhythm with that time while also playing these kind of intricate melody lines. It's a very timeless sound. These blues songs, by definition, like are timeless, right? They're like written by Delta Blues men of your mostly African-American guys, a lot of whom were blind. That's kind of where Blind Joe Death comes from, which is Fahey's kind of self-mythology. So Blind Joe Death is a made-up person. John Fahey was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of spiritually connected to these blues men. Like, I'm playing this music in this style. Nobody else is doing it the way I am. The genre he founded is called American Primitivism. One person and a guitar creating a lot out of it. He's not like singing. There's no vocals, I don't think, on any John Fahey records. The melody is like a familiar thing. And if you've ever heard different versions of any of these songs, like John Henry. to hear it recorded with this clarity for 1959 by definition the only thing they could do was lo-fi at that time probably so like you're getting all this hissing like the tape is hissing warbling scuffing scratching while he's like plucking these bass notes i listened to a re-recording of it that was done in 1964 which spotify again annoyingly puts both of these albums and groups them under the same album and title. Mm -hmm. So like you're listening to them back to back, which is fine, except I get whiplash listening to the new version after just hearing the last track on his original recording. And it almost sounds hokey next to like grittier. Yeah. Original version. I had the same exact experience. Fuck you, Spotify. <laughs> One thing about this album is that there's multiple versions of it. And it's because, there was like an initial recording in 59, another recording in 64, I think even another recording even later on. Whatever version you find, you'll get a really good flavor of what John Fahey's music sounds like.
So another interesting thing that I found out about this album is that it was inducted into the Library of Congress's sound recording mm-hmm. archive. Every year, Library of Congress goes through this like process of picking a handful of things that go into this archive. This album got selected back in 2010, I think. Not only was he drawing upon American traditional music, but he was also like doing something really innovative with it that launched other people. Once you hear it, a lot of people have drawn upon his work. Yeah, it's not like he standardized these songs exactly because they'd been standards forever. He did reframe them in a new way. I found out in my research that he was also getting blues guys from the South to be on Tacoma Records. There were definitely these like ethnomusicologists who set out to try and record some of these folk traditions and blues early to mid 20th century that had never been recorded before. Alan Lomax is definitely one of the big names who, who went out and did this. I just feel very fortunate that we've recorded whatever we have. Imagine a music that was made at some point in time that was never recorded and wasn't written down. If I could like have a superpower, be a time traveler, wouldn't it be cool to have the job of going back and recording music? Yeah, that would be incredible. I was also reading about Alan Lomax trying to catalog the songs of the nation all throughout like the 30s and 40s. He was collecting Mississippi Delta blues recordings from all these guys and ladies too. the notion of like somebody keeping track of all these songs, having them not just be lost is comforting. Lewis, did you have any particular songs that uh, stood out to you? I really, really love Poor Boy Long Ways From Home, which is definitely a blues standard. song i really love the song that my dad played on the podcast last time which is in christ there is no east or west on end that one has a kind of a sweet feel to it the way you're describing like the classical arrangement Mm -hmm. because it just it goes a few different places it's not just the straightforward 12 bar blues the whole thing my final pick would be sligo river blues which is actually named after a creek that runs through tacoma park maryland which i spent time splashing around as a child It's like literally almost spot on the same exact songs that I had picked out, especially Sligo River. I would also throw in there a Desperate Man Blues.
know, you might recognize it as like a very simple folk song. There's also like the bass being plucked at the bottom end and then the chords in the middle. And it's kind of the middle part that's like really interesting stuff going on, all at the same time continuing to churn this like tempo that has to keep going because it's the only instrument. The one thing I really liked about the reissue that's on Spotify too is uh, the song The Transcendental Waterfall, which is a journey of a song. features more of the experimental stuff like John Fahey kind of leaving his mark on it very different very experimental this is a I think kind of a divergence for us right we've been listening to a lot of rock or pop some hip-hop but all kind of feels like it fits within a world that this this came first right this came before any of the other stuff we've listened to so far yeah I think it has the OG the original primitive John Fahey has plenty of other albums in addition to this that are all worth listening to big fan I was reading a New Yorker article about John Fahey. I think it was centered on a biography that came out a few years ago. Definitely considered himself, even prided himself on being like an outsider, but not in the kind of counterculture way that hippies did. While they were more fixated on like the folk culture, he was like, no, this is folk music. You guys are morons. And did, I think, a lot to jab them and antagonize hippies who revered him he spent some time living in berkeley because he actually got a master's degree in folklore so he's playing all these hippies in berkeley hating their guts big time contrarian grouch iconoclast i would say that's a fair (laughs) assessment brad self mythology and stuff early on is so fascinating because he was like definitely creating this artistic persona people really like that Right. We want to believe in myth. We want to get immersed in it. We want something to take us places. This was music that did that in so many different ways. All right, Louis. Well, I think it's your turn to uh, assign a homework assignment. Oh, goody gumdrops. <laughs> yes, you're correct. You ready, Brad? I am. Brad, for your homework assignment, I want you to listen to the 2012 album Attack on Memory by Cloud Nothings, who are an Ohio band that actually uh, now the singer and songwriter, leader of the band, lives in Philly. This was probably their breakout album, the first album that they made with a full band arrangement. I can't wait to hear what you think. Cool, yeah. Don't know that album. Look forward to it. Our Teens Podcast is hosted by Brad Lanute and Lewis Weil, produced by Robert Hughes. Follow us on Instagram at Our Teens Podcast or on Twitter at Our Teens Pod. Thanks for listening. See you next time, everyone. Okay, Brad, enough Bon Jovi jerking on around here.